You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Well, welcome back, everyone. I hope you're having a terrific week, meeting your goals, and finding some time in prayer. You know, speaking of prayer, if you'd like to join our Facebook prayer group, we would love to have you. I'll leave a link in the show notes. It's a small but growing prayer group on Kristen's Cross's Facebook page with around 65 members so far. And we leave our prayer intentions there throughout the week. It's a closed group, so you'll just need to request permission to join. And we did that, of course, to create a safe space for people to share their intentions. It's hard sometimes to find people to pray with. So if you're interested, we'd love to have you. And my theory is you can't have too many people praying for you. On Advancing Our Church, we've had some great guests this fall. Last week, we had Father Chris Walsh discussing racism in our church. That was just a tremendous conversation. We had Father Jim McDermott from America Magazine, Dan Salucci, the CEO of CLI, and so many more. And I hope you're finding these conversations helpful. You know, somebody asked me recently, how do I get these amazing guests? And the answer is, I just reach out and ask them, and rarely has anyone ever declined. It's been an incredible journey so far. Another great question I often get is, how do you decide on topics for the podcast? And Honestly, I think it's a combination of the Holy Spirit and and just what hits me in the news and what I think is relevant for us today. And so I bring this up because if you have an idea for the podcast or an idea for a guest that you think would be terrific on the show, I'd love to hear from you. I get those suggestions all the time. So just shoot me an email at jim at advancingourchurch.com or send me a direct message via social media. This uh, show just continues to evolve because of our listeners and the great guests who share their wisdom and experience. So I'm just a facilitator on this journey with you. You're in the driver's seat. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Now, let's get to work. Today is a very special episode for me because I have invited members of the Diaconate Formation class in the Diocese of Allentown to a conversation about this ministry. You'll meet our formation directors, Father Gene Ritz and Deacon Rick Lanciano, who are just insightful and holy men that guide us on this journey. You'll also meet a few of my classmates, Vaughn, Bo, and Patrick, and they share their insights, their journey, and the way this entire formation process has changed them as men. I think you're really going to enjoy hearing about the journey of the deacon and those of us who are aspiring to that vocation. So sit back and relax, and here's our conversation. Okay, well, welcome to Advancing Our Church. I'm so pleased to have members of the diaconate formation class for the Diocese of Allentown with us today, as well as Father Ritz and and Deacon Rick, our formation directors for the program. So grateful to you gentlemen for taking a little time out of your Saturday morning to be with us today and have a, just having a conversation about the important ministry that we're all a part of, and that is the diaconate. So with that said, Father Ritz, could I ask you to start us with a prayer? Pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy his consolations through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Well, thank you again, gentlemen, for being on here today, and thank you, Father Ritz, uh, for that beautiful prayer. Uh, Actually, Father Ritz, you are a returning guest to Advancing Our Church. I had you on a few years ago when you were back at Berks Catholic when we were telling that story. It's great to have you on the show again. It's good to be back, Jim. Thank you. So, Father, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just kind of, we'll go around the panel a little bit here around the horn. And why don't we start with you have everybody kind of introduce themselves. Father, I know you wear many hats in the Diocese of Allentown. Today, you're wearing the head of Formation Director. But tell us a little about your role and, and your life here in the diocese. Sure. I had uh, many happy years as an assistant pastor and as a high school chaplain. Uh, did some studies in canon law and uh, now uh, serve on our diocesan tribunal, um, do some canonical work for the diocese. And then, of course, uh, have the great privilege of helping uh, the men in formation for the permanent diaconate for the diocese and guiding that process along uh, in close consultation with our bishop and then also providing some ongoing formation for um, the the great many men who have already been ordained deacons for the Diocese of Allentown. So that's that's what I'm up to. (laughs) 
What are you doing between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m., Father? I mean, <laughs> that's a lot. That's awesome, though. Thank you. Thanks for being on here. It's a great uh, privilege. Deacon, Deacon Rick, tell us a little bit about uh, your background and, and what you're doing now for the diocese. I know you just recently retired, right? Yes. Yes. I was uh, chairman of the theology department at Berks Catholic High School, taught uh, senior theology there. Uh, I, I had a career prior to being a teacher in business. So I've been in the Catholic school system uh, for 21 years. And um, I worked with uh, Father Ritz. I met Father Ritz when he was a deacon at St. Ignatius, and he followed me to Berks Catholic after <laughs> my current pastor, Father Tom Bortz. Um, I was ordained in 2015. I have the pleasure of serving the men in diaconate formation currently, and uh, that's, a, that's a real uh, joy to be able to do that. I also have a very busy retired life. It doesn't seem, uh, I don't know how I would have been able to teach doing all the things I'm doing right now. So, <laughs> Well, and, and you just led us through a beautiful uh, retreat in preparation for the Ministry of Lecter, Deacon Rick, and thank you uh, for thank all you. your wonderful words. It was a great retreat. So why don't we talk uh, with some of my fellow candidates? Uh, why don't we start with Vaughn? Vaughn, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Jim, and thanks for having, uh, including me in this panel. I was born and raised Episcopalian. I converted to the Catholic Church freshman year of college. Continued, of course, to, to grow in faith. Married, four kids, and living in the Allentown Diocese, member of St. Thomas More Parish. Full-time, I, I work at uh, St. Peter's University Healthcare System in New Brunswick, New Jersey, Director of Supply Chain and Procurement, um, and felt the, felt the tug for a long time, a persistent call. With the prompting of Monsignor Murphy, asked for the packet in the appropriate manner that he could say, yes, here's a packet, uh, and submitted it through prayer and, and grace of God. Uh, Bishop has invited me to along this journey, so one step at a time. Beautiful. And, and professionally, Vaughn, uh, what, uh, what do you do professionally? Uh, St. Uh, Peter's University Healthcare System. I'm the Director of Supply Chain and Logistics. Excellent. And so that involves the procurement of all the products that come, or almost all the products that come into a hospital, and then ensuring doctors uh, and clinicians have what they need to take care of patients. That's great. Thanks, Juan. Bo, tell us a little about yourself. Bo Riley. Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for having me, Jim. I appreciate it. So my name is Bo Riley, and I'm a uh, parishioner at St. Ambrose Parish in Schuylkillhaven, Pennsylvania. I am a lawyer. I work for the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection, and so I run one of the legal offices at the department. I also am a teacher. I'm an adjunct faculty member at Purdue Global University and also at Alvernia University uh, in Reading. And I'm married. I have four children, like Vaughn does. I, like Vaughn, um, I have been discerning a vocation to the diaconate for, for quite a while and was actually invited to participate in uh, Deacon Rick's class. So, but unfortunately, um, uh, things got in the way and I wasn't able to uh, take up the, uh, the bishop's invitation at that time. So I thought when there's a future date, uh, a future class that I would definitely make the time for it. And so here I am, and uh, I'm, I'm certainly grateful to be here, grateful to have all of you with me on this journey, Jim and uh, Father Ritz and everybody else who's on the program. Thank you, Bo. And last but not least, Pat. Pat Alba, tell us a bit about yourself. Thanks, Jim. Uh, thanks for having me. I currently live near Lori Station. Uh, my home parish is uh, Holy Trinity Parish in uh, Whitehall, Egypt. At the parish, I'm, I'm involved as a Eucharistic minister, parish council, soup kitchen, and whatever else uh, Monsignor Dan decides to send my way. So I'm starting to, to catch those things as uh, I'm a diaconate candidate. So um, I get pulled into whatever whatever Monsignor Dan asked me to do. I worked for Air Products for almost 25 years until uh, they sold off the chemical business that I supported to a German company called Evonik. And now I work for Ivonic, and they're incorporated in uh, Parsippany, New Jersey. But I've been blessed to stay here in the Valley, still work in the same buildings I worked in for the past 28 years now, so which is very nice. And although I've been working from home, you know, for the last year and a half, uh, as many people have been doing, um, I'm married to a wonderful faith-filled woman, Carolyn, for 10 years. And I'm the stepfather to two daughters. They're now 17 and 20, Autumn and Rachel. Fun fact, and I'll conclude here because it may be a question of many people discerning 
the, the vocation of diaconate. This is my second marriage. Uh, my first marriage was annulled by the church uh, by defective form. And let Monsignor Ritz or Father Ritz can explain that if he wants to, because it was outside the church. So um, there's other people in our diaconate class that are also uh, have on their second marriage, some because of a death, but others because of the same situation I have. So, Thank you for sharing that, Pat. That's, that's yeah. wonderful. Wonderful. We all find our ways here in different, in different, through different paths, right? We know it's all in the same path. So during our conversation today, I thought perhaps we talk a little bit about uh, talk with the candidates a little bit about you know our our process and, and have some conversation around that. And Deacon Rick, I'm, I'm anxious to hear you share your vocation story. But why don't we start kind of from the beginning? And and Father Ritz, why don't we ask you to kind of share with us for those who might be listening and may not be clear on it, what is what is the role of the deacon and Kind of what is the history of that ministry in the church? It, that is a very rich history. Uh, when you think of the diaconate going back to Acts of the Apostles, we, we look to that sixth chapter of Acts of the Apostles where widows are being neglected and they choose from among them seven, seven more and they list the names of those first assistants and they talk about how the first role is to wait at tables, tend to those being neglected who, you know, again, were the widows and but then in just a few paragraphs, one of uh, the first deacons is martyred, uh, St. Stephen. The first martyr of the church is a deacon, and I don't think he was martyred for waiting at tables. So it would be kind of impoverishing the diaconate just to say it's, it's, it's just started this one way. The deacons in the life of the early church bore a very, very special and important role within the community. They were the uh, assistance of their bishops in, in charge of finances, care for the poor. So many ministries of the gospel we see today that deacons are, are still engaged in. This is why when you know they wanted to uh, get the money from the church, so to speak, in ancient Rome, uh, they said to St. Lawrence, they went to him and, and said, bring us the treasures of the church. They went to the deacon. And of course, when he, he brought them the poor of the city and, and those, those who were in need, they martyred him too, but he understood these were the treasures of the church. All through uh, at least the early third, fourth, fifth centuries, we see the uh, apostolic writings. We we see deacons there. We see deacons in in the patristic era of the church. But already by about the fifth century in the West, not in the Eastern church where the diaconate has always remained somewhat, uh, you would call a stable order unto itself, the diaconate was basically uh, starting to be preserved as a step to priesthood. And that remained the case. Still is in, in some ways the case that every priest has been ordained a deacon first, that's where uh, Deacon Rick mentioned my diaconate here at St. Ignatius. And so we go through hundreds upon hundreds of years in the church where the diaconate is preserved this way. Until about oh, it was 1968, when uh, Pope Paul, in, in his wisdom, restored the order as a unique order in the church. And priests are still ordained deacons first. However, to bring back the diaconate in a permanent state, uh, it, it wasn't revolutionary, it was ancient. And I would think if we look back at it, timeline from late 60s to now in the life of our church, I think it's been one of the most extraordinary uh, successes that we've had as we see the number of deacons again continue to grow and reestablish those roles. The deacon is essentially a man for charity. He's a minister of the word, of the gospel. He's a minister of the altar in assisting the priest and bishop, but he is also in a very special way a minister of charity, and that is what I would consider the primary role of the deacon. The catechism would quote John's gospel and say that Christ made himself the servant or the deacon of all. And so as each of the, the ranks of orders is modeled after the life of uh, the Lord Jesus, it's uniquely the, the diaconate in, in a particular way that is meant to model Christ the servant in and amongst the community of believers. So it sounds as though the, the role has evolved a little bit over, over the years, Father, and would you say that um, kind of maybe a follow-up question might be, do you think that it continues to evolve a little bit even in today's church? Ever ancient, ever new is what Augustine says about mm -hmm. the word, right? So the diaconate ever ancient, those basic principles of charity and service have been there from the very beginning in, sure. in, in sacred scripture. How that plays itself out practically is responding to, you know, reading the signs of the time, seeing what the yeah. needs are here and now. And so I think just as the diaconate was responding to the signs of the times and the needs that they had in the, you know, in first century Rome, so too here in, in Allentown in 2020, we see uh, about 90 active deacons in our diocese doing essentially the same works, but of course, responding to the needs of our times. 
And I'm sure Deacon Rick, in your life as a deacon, it has evolved. Oh, yes, it has. <laughs> as, I, as I hope and pray it will for uh, the four of us and all of our classmates as we continue to go through this journey. But I think that's a good segue. Deacon, how many years have you been ordained? I was ordained in 2015, so I just celebrated my uh, sixth anniversary as a deacon. Oh, congratulations. Um, I have to tell you, the, the diaconate was never on my radar. I was, uh, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, I, I had a 22-year a career in uh, retail management, worked with a, a couple of uh, national retailers and traveled quite a bit. We have uh, five children, actually three children, three boys naturally, and then our, our two, two uh, uh, daughters are, who are, were my sister's children. As I was traveling, I realized that I was leaving my wife at home alone with five people, and she was trying to manage a household and get people to uh, hockey practices and this, that, and the other thing. I was on a trip uh, to visit a, a couple of stores in State College, and I was on Route 22 there. And it, you know how it bends around by the Susquehanna River, and uh, there's this fake Statue of Liberty in the in the uh, middle of the river. And I, and I'm particular to that fake statue because I work some time in New York, and I, I have an appreciation for the real Statue of Liberty. I think God spoke to me about doing something different with my life. And as, as a matter of fact, I'm sure God has spoken to me a couple of times, and I'm sure it was God's call to, to do something where I could be home and be a better father and a better parent. It uh, came to me that teaching was the, the plan, and I, I put a plan in place to become a teacher, and I was offered a job long before that plan was supposed to, to be executed so that I could comfortably and financially switch to this new career. So there was a lot of discomfort and a lot of bumps along the way, but we, uh, I started teaching. In that process of teaching, I'd already made a commitment to serve God because I was teaching in a Catholic school. And I had a deacon who came to me because I had a passion for teaching religion, and that was something that developed. Uh, had been developing in me over 30 years of focus on the catechism, a passion for what the church believes. Also, having had to confront some of the things that the church teaches in my own life that were not necessarily being lived out either appropriately or to their fullest, and uh, starting to see the church's wisdom in that catechism. And I, I come to uh, meet a deacon, uh, the first deacon that I ever met who had been in the first diaconate class in the Diocese of Allentown. And he said to me, you know, you, you, you'd make a good deacon. I'm like, I don't know what a deacon is, but I'm looking at, at one. So I, I wasn't really, I hadn't studied the, the diaconate, uh, did not feel called to uh, be, being a cleric, certainly. I just wanted to serve the church. And uh, later on, I discovered that one of the great things I think I learned about being a teacher is that I was not good at it. I kind of thought that because I was professional um, in other areas of my life and was successful in other areas of my life, that those skills would just transfer. So this was this humbling, in some, in some cases, humiliating experience of, of trying to be good at something that uh, was totally different than anything that I'd ever done. You know, you really don't manage kids in a classroom. You, you, you lead them. And it was an important wake-up call because it started to, to get me to think about God's designs on things and how we tend to misunderstand uh, what God really calls us to, how we think one way, but God says, no, I have something to teach you here in another way, and how we have to be open, open to that. And it wasn't until I finally gave in to that you know, I, I think I had this second moment with God where I said, you know, dear Lord, I really stink as a teacher. You've got to help me here. And he kind of said, you know, you care about teaching and you care about being good at things and you're working the same kind of schedule that you worked as a manager, but maybe you ought to try loving the kids. And, and I, I had a couple of realizations that really was never about curriculum. It was about taking care of the kids. And this was kind of a natural flow to to I think what the, the call of the diaconate is. You're given a job, you're ordained, and then the priest asks you to do something. So you open up this letter and the priest has called you to either this place that you're not familiar with the people or this particular ministry, which is something you did not see on your radar. 
and you say to yourself, okay, well, I, I don't know how to do this. How do I approach this? Uh, and, and obviously you need uh, God's help. You need the help of his grace and the, the grace of the Holy Spirit. And you also need to be open. So you go about your business and you start to realize, you know, you'll sit up there and, and you'll wonder about whether your first homily is effective or whether people like it. And people are very nice. Usually they, even if they didn't like it, they tell you it was a nice homily. And then they'll say, well, it was a nice homily father. And I'm like, I'm really not father. I'm Deacon, uh, you know, Rick. But, but you start to understand that, that people in our church are really loving, wonderful. They, they appreciate the, the clerics that serve them, whether they recognize them as deacons or not. And you start to realize the richness of the church is very much what I think St. Lawrence did when he presented the faithful as the riches of the church to the emperor. You start to realize the riches that are there in the faithful. And they're, they come from all different places. They, they struggle the same way you do. One of the great things about being a deacon is uh, a permanent deacon is you're in a married state. So you're dealing with people sometimes who have the same issues that you're having in your family, with your children, with your spouse. And you start to realize how much you have in common with the people of God, with the lady and how much you re relate to them. So you start to, I think, take that very seriously. And I, I had a couple of great uh, deacon role models, humble men who really were people that I could talk to as I was going through formation, who would share with me things. As a matter of fact, you know, and I'll just close on this, the, the, the deacon who was supposed to, to vest me, Deacon John Murphy, uh, used to spend his Mondays having coffee with the pastor, trying to figure out what he could do to help the pastor. I asked him to, he said it would be a privilege to do that. But as he got sicker, he did not feel that he wanted to become a spectacle at an ordination where something might go wrong. And by that time he was walking with a walker, he was unsteady and he didn't want to draw attention to himself. I just love his attitude about that. Uh, this idea of uh, wanting to work in the background, wanting to help the pastor, wanting to keep the secrets of the, ch of the, of the church, of the faithful and of, of all of those things and just kind of uh, fade off into his, his own little uh, sunset, if you would, for lack of a better term. I've had the opportunity to work with some really great deacons and that, that, that formation to the diaconate kind of came while I was in the diaconate, I started to understand the call better. And then I started to look at these men in reflection of that call and start to see, uh, yes, this is, this is really what it's, it's meant to be. Um, so Rick, so many wonderful, um, wonderful themes that I picked up on what you just said there. I mean, the, the theme for just being present to the pastor, right. Just to be looking for how you can help him in the myriad of things during the course of a week that he is called to do and having someone that he can talk to in a confidential way to just maybe even help him sort out what, what needs to be done and how you can, can fill in. I know that you've talked about that in the past with our class about how you have that relationship with your pastor and the role of a deacon. I think just from what I have learned over the last three years, that's just a piece that you seem to do so beautifully well. Does a guy come to evolve to that point where he understands that's his role? Or do we all come into that with that same, do, is that something that we evolve to? Or, or how did you kind of come to that place? I'll tell you a very interesting story. We were asked a couple of years ago to do communion services when the priests are on vocation. Or on con, at convocation. And so it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, you're like the presider of that thing. Yeah. And, and communion services are not something that we really do, nor should we be doing them. We, uh, we should be encouraging the faithful to go to Mass, so they should be something that is extraordinary and rare. I remember going to the tabernacle to distribute our Lord to the faithful and realizing, you know what, if I don't have a priest to do this, at some point, our uh, the Eucharist is going to run out. We won't have yeah. it. I made mention of that at the, at the end of the services. I was sending people away and it became kind of a mantra for, for me to understand, first of all, it wasn't so much understanding my place as it was understanding the hierarchy of orders and where they fit. And, and so where are you, where you fit in the scheme of things. Yeah. And one of the great, great, great concerns I have is for the health and welfare of our priests. As we start to lose priests, have rectories that are empty places than lonely places. When I was growing up as a kid, our rectory had four priests. And uh, that was pretty much every rectory. And there was a fellowship. You would see 
the the priest as a group in in terms of uh, you know various uh, parish events. As a matter of fact, I know that when Father Ritz was in formation as a deacon, he joined a very solid rectory where he had a, a great great friendship. I know my pastor was a part of of that formation process as well. And so our rectories are not not what they used to be, which means that our priests are lonelier than ever because mm-hmm. there are fewer of them. I think that part of it is uh, to be actually really a friend to the bridegroom in a very real, real sense. To Absolutely. be a, a friend to our, even to our, our bishop to the degree that that's possible. Father Ritz, I know you're currently in the process of working towards creating a new class of, of deacon uh, aspirants uh, in the diocese. And, and you obviously heard many, many, many stories uh, as, as men were kind of pondering this, this vocation. Is, is Deacon Rick's uh, journey or the journeys that you heard all of us tell you as we were kind of going through this interview process, like, is that, uh, is that typical or, or, you know, how does a how do you see a lot of men coming to this decision to explore this vocation? You know, I can't say that any one story is typical. Um, there are common threads, though, amongst them. There are threads that yeah. you're proud of all okay. of those, and, uh, the, the men who are in application now, uh, the, how men who, you know, applied for uh, our previous class. And it was a really wonderful experience getting to hear their stories, their stories with their wives, their families, their, their work lives, and how it all just intertwines, especially in terms of their their seriousness and their devotedness to their faith. And so the common thread begins with, I think, a willingness to listen to what God it is, what God is trying to say to you. And I would say that would be the first thing that every person who approaches this process of formation, this lengthy process of formation, as you well know, is someone who's willing, first of all, to listen and see what is it God is asking of me? Is the church calling me to this? Is this what is supposed to be the case, Lord? And we place all of that at your feet. And yet, in all of their stories, we, we hear different uh, twists and turns, the, the things of life, things that have happened with children, things that happen within marriages, things that happen within a work life. All of them, though, come together with this plan that they're, they're placing God first and wanting to know what it is that he's desiring of them so that in all of the, the paths of life, you, you might say, that uh, different men have they come to this one point of seeking out what is it, Lord, that you're asking of me? And so uh, each of those stories is unique, but that would be the one commonality, I would say, amongst all those who we welcome to engage formation. So let's pick up on that theme a little bit of how God has been calling us. I mean, kind of pull my classmates into this conversation a little bit. Why don't we start with Vaughn? Vaughn, how has this process impacted your prayer life? When you think about your prayer life, kind of prior to entering this formation process. And for all of us, it's been three years now. We're pretty much roughly at the halfway point. We have three more years to go. How has your own prayer life evolved? One of the initial things that that it brought me to was the the liturgy of the hours. I, I can remember seeing, you know, the, the big four volumes and it's kind of like, oh, that's a neat looking set of books. But then uh, through Father Mather and Father Ritz and, and Deacon Rick and Deacon Joe, started to incorporate that and have incorporated that discipline into morning and evening. I don't do the entire readings, I, I, but I do the two readings, the first and second readings, and then I go into morning prayer. I'm going to just go on a quick aside. It, it is so rich, and today especially, and so we're filming this on the, the 9th of October, it's the Feast of St. Dennis and his companions. So you learn just a snippet about him. Uh, but then you find out, or you dig a little bit, okay, he's the first bishop of Paris. He is martyred, his uh, priest is martyred with him, and a deacon Elephosaurus or something like that. These three are mar- martyred for the faith. St. Dennis, I mean, John Wayne might be an icon of an American male. This guy, his head is cut off. He picks it up. He carries it for six miles. Um, to complete his mission, and his deacon dies with him, one of his priests die with him, and the people of Paris right now, the people of France, need a holy Catholic hero like Dennis, like his companions, because the storm is coming to France now. The storm's been in France for years. I'm going to stop my side there, but it is renewed, and Satan is working hard on France again. And from the initial reports, what happened in Boston, 
that's amateur work compared to what they're saying is going has happened in France. They need St. Dennis. We need St. Dennis. We need inspiration like that. Sorry, I drifted off. But so definitely, thank you. Definitely the, the liturgy of the hours. I have not been a good Rosarian, but I've tried to incorporate that. The technology, as much as it can be a challenge to a good life, it can also bring a lot of good things, whether it's a podcast of Bishop Barron's homilies and his reflections. You can pick up old Bishop Sheen, but there's so much there that we can do. And also, I just, over these past three years, I've tried to get myself out of what I call the, the pungy pit of busyness. And, and so much of what we do for work or for life is just kind of like, well, I got to do it. But to pause and going back to what you said, Deacon Rick, about that presence. And if somebody pops into my head just yesterday, a person I haven't thought of in probably six, seven years, because I've had no need to really think about her. She popped into my head, at least shoot a, a text over and just say, hey, thinking of you, hope you're doing well. But it's to try and maintain that when, when God gives you that nudge, pick it up and, and at least do something with it. And maybe that's all it was, was just a, a nudge. But so that's a, a little bit about what's been going on with, with my prayer life. Beautifully said, Vaughn. And I think, you know, so appropriate, obviously, with what they're seeing in France. And I, I think uh, for myself, just to echo what you said, for me, the Liturgy of the Hours is not something that I really understood as well until I took the time to really do it. You know, I had been exposed to it. I had seen it. I, I knew that it was something that clergy did on a regular basis, but I didn't quite understand the impact or the unity that I would feel in doing it on a daily basis, knowing that these prayers that I'm praying are the same prayers that are being prayed throughout the world. And I think, and sometimes as I, I pray them, like you, I don't, I don't know if it was like for, for my classmates here, for me, I mean, it was hard at first, I think, to develop this new habit, this new pattern, but it's the, like any anything you're trying to get good at, you have to stay with it. You have to stay focused in on it. For me personally, it was helpful to pull my wife into it. And uh, it's become something that we do on a pretty regular basis. Uh, in the morning, we say our morning prayers together. I'm I was very fortunate, like Pat, to at the beginning, at the one silver lining to the to the cloud was uh, through the pandemic, I got to work from home. So I got to see my family more frequently. So Kristen and I would have coffee in the morning. And then I just, hey, would you like to do this morning prayer with me? And we just started doing it. And, and it's just become you know a time for us to really reflect not only on God's word, but also just reflect on the intentions and the prayer requests we have for our family, our kids, the difficult times that we've had. Uh, we've lost a number of friends and family over the last uh, year and a half. So it's been a time to really reflect on that and pray. So I've, I've found it not only to be a time closer to God, but to be a little closer to my wife and having that yeah. companionship through it is, has been helpful to me. Bo, tell us a bit about your journey in prayer. Thanks, Jim. Listening to Vaughn and to you and uh, Deacon Rick, I think I've always had a pretty good prayer life. So I've always prayed in the morning, prayed in the evening would try to attend daily mass at the cathedral in Harrisburg during lunchtime. Um, and this is even before I was in the diaconate program. But I think the greatest thing for me is that since I've entered the diaconate program, is just a greater awareness. And, and I think it was something that you hit on, Jim, earlier when you were talking about not living the Christian life to the fullest. And so I could probably say, beforehand that yes, I was living the Christian life. But I think since I've been in formation, I think the question is not, am I living the Christian life, but am I living the Christian life to the fullest? And I think before that, I, could, I would probably have to say no. Since this time, I can't say necessarily that I'm living it to the fullest, but I'm aware of it. And so there's a greater awareness for me of what my duties and obligations are, not just to my wife and to my family and to my work situation, but to the church, to my fellow diaconate candidates, and then just to people that I meet on the street. I think that there's a greater awareness that every person that we come in contact with is coming in contact with Christ. So it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what their station in life is. It doesn't matter if it's your boss. 
It doesn't matter if it's a homeless person, you know, looking for a couple of bucks or anyone, anyone else in between. It's just that you're always kind of coming in to contact with God, that there are so many opportunities throughout the day to really realize the presence of God in our lives. And I think, and I can't remember who it was who said that your life is a prayer. And and I think that's so true. I mean, even if you're doing washing the dishes, that particular activity can be holy. So even those mundane things that we do, I'm sitting upstairs, I'm looking out this window, and I can kind of feel the breeze, and I can see the wind kind of rustling through the trees. You know, even in those simple moments, you can you can see God, you can feel God, you can feel his presence. And I think that that's really what has helped me, particularly in the diaconate program. And I think when we were on our retreat this past weekend, and I think Father Ritz had said a couple of times, so I want, I want you to pay attention to this, or I want you to listen to this. And it's like, oh yeah, you know, if you, you know, if we pay greater attention there's another meaning that kind of unfolds in the prayers that we say. So when I am doing morning prayer and when I am doing it in the evening, or even if I'm at mass and I, you know, I'm paying closer attention. And if I am singing a hymn that I can kind of see the connection between the hymn and the Eucharist or between the hymn and perhaps whatever I've come in contact with in daily life. So I kind of see these multiple connections between things and just kind of the interconnectedness of life. And I, and I think it really brings home, you know, that everything that we do is, you know, we always say through him, with him and in him. And, and I think that that kind of brings, brings that home with a greater awareness for me because everything that any of us do is through Christ that we're all members of the body of Christ. And um, so that, that kind of, that's kind of the thing that I really take from that. That's given my formation has given me a greater awareness of those things. Yeah. Beautifully said, beautifully said, Bo. I, I, I know what you mean about different lights going on. Like what's been fun also about the education portion is as we have learned things in class, then you hear it on Sunday or you're reading something in the scripture, like, oh, I know what that means. <laughs> and you see it in just a, a totally different light, right? You, under, right? you understand the book of Genesis and the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit coming over the waters. I had never really pictured that or understood that in that way before until our class. I think it was probably the Old Testament. But just, just little lights that go on through the, pro- that, that when you have those little aha moments for me, kind of like deepens the faith and solidifies. Oh yeah. Okay. Now I get this even, I feel stronger now. I feel a little bit sturdier in my faith. I can explain something. And and I've enjoyed doing that also with like, I'll bug my wife. Oh, guess what I learned that made this connection. Maybe you didn't know it, you know? <laughs> anyway, Pat, tell us a little bit about your, how's this impacted your prayer life? Sure. You're going to make me go after Bo after all that. Now I got to <laughs> say something. Well, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely focused my prayer life. I started going to daily mass after I decided to enter the diaconate. So that's been a, a big change for me as well as uh, praying the divine office. That's, that's a big change for me. Also mass is just a wonderful day to start your, a rather wonderful way to start your day. And the divine office just keeps you focused on, on Christ all day long so that they're wonderful things. But, but for me, those two things have kind of become more of jumping off points, you know, to focus my prayer and the real where, where prayer really talks to me is in the rosary. So, you know, my daily rosary, I, it, it brings, you know, the thoughts of God and life and, and the church and everything to life for me through the rosary. I ask, you know, I say the prayers of the rosary and I ask the two saints, one on one hand and one on the other hand. I have St. Padre Pio on my left and St. Catherine on my right. And we say the prayers together, you know, with Mary. Mm-hmm. And we ask, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus to help guide us, you know, to help find, help us find Jesus. So. I think that's that's really the key to those those the mass and the daily office kind of guide me into the rosary and the rosary really takes me to deep into the into prayer and that's changed my life dramatically. 
Well said, Pat. I think you did great. Awesome. I, you know, one of the joys I think for me, and we've all kind of touched on this, is just getting to know you guys. Uh, who I think I had, I, you know, Vaughn and I kind of knew each other. I had met Bo. I'm not sure that I'd met like just different friendships. I think that had developed and getting to know your stories had has really been uh, impactful for me. Bringing back in here, Deacon Rick and Father Ritz. I know we talked a little bit about this at the beginning, but and we and we talked a little bit about not necessarily. I don't want to say the evolving role of the deacon, but the deacon kind of rising to the times of our of our day, right? And and the ways in which we're going to be utilizing deacons. Are, are we going to be utilizing them differently, or or how how will the role of the deacon kind of continue to evolve or be needed in the coming years of this coming chapter, if you will, of our church history? Um, either one of you can. Deacon Rick's laughing because his role continues to evolve on a regular basis, but. <laughs> Rumor, the rumor was when we were going through formation that we would end up being administrators of parishes. Right. And I can tell you that that is one thing I did not want to do. I had done enough managing in my life. <laughs> uh, I had this vision of uh, almost a monastic uh, existence. <laughs> this uh, year, because we don't have enough priests, Father, my, my pastor, Father Tom Bortz, was asked to twin a, with a parish. And it's a considerable parish. In other words, 500 families, and they're uh, financially in a, in, in a really good spot. They lost a priest, and we didn't have a priest to, to go out there. So he asked me to spend some time with those with the people of St. Francis de Sales and Robesonia. And it has been amazing. It's actually kind of my monastic experience because during the summer you get five phone calls a week over four days. And this, I, I was used to by the end of the summer, the same three people calling, but uh, now it's gotten busy. There's a, there's a, a co-op uh, homeschool co-op that is there on Thursdays at 70 kids. There is a vibrant uh, prep program of 70 kids. Um, I, we just started a, uh, the, a group of people who wanted to do RCIA. We don't have an RCIA candidate. So we decided to, to meet as a group and do faith formation and ask people to join us. So our first meeting was this week and we had 11 people. And so here I am sucked in to the, uh, to the people of God in, in a very unique way and something I didn't think I wanted to do. I uh, now can't find enough time to do. And it's it's been it's been amazing. I, I felt the same way about prison ministry. I felt the same way about hospitals, and I find myself going to those places and realizing uh, that is where the church is. That is the brokenness of the church, and that is where God has called us to be. Talk about your own evolving role. That's that's incredible, incredible. And we and and you do see that. Uh, you see, I've I've even worked uh, done some work in different dioceses around the country where. A layperson has also kind of taken that role of, of administrator, but but certainly uh, it does seem to be a need to, there's only so many of them going around. Father Ritz, anything to add to that uh, on the evolving role of the deacon in today's church? Sure. I, I would uh, echo Deacon Rick's story uh, to share with you our first morning in the seminary, first day, first year, arrived in the evening, that first morning mass, the, uh, the dean of uh, formation, uh, so we call them the dean of men began his homily. He was new. It was his first day, you know, there with us. And he said, I'd like to tell you a story. And he said, uh, I remember this clearly. He said, the day I was ordained, my parents picked me up here and we drove to the cathedral. And I remember pulling out of the gates, thinking to myself, Lord, I can't wait to be a parish priest. I'm praying to be a parish priest. He said, and in the back of my mind was please don't send me to high school. And whatever you do, please don't send me back here to the seminary. He said, so I come to you as your dean here at the seminary, having spent the last eight years on faculty, and he gave us the name of the high school. And it stuck with me all these years. Because it's true, whether bishop, priest, or deacon, we're going to be pulled to do different things. Always true to who we are, always true to the office that God entrusts to us, always trying to be true to the men God is asking us to be. But by the same time, he's going to pull us in different directions and, and in ways that we never thought we would be of service. Um, Deacon Rick, in addition to you know, helping at, at your parish, I could tell you when I was being ordained, my one thought, and I, and I actually said it to our then vicar general was, 
I don't think I'd ever want to study canon law. So here I am, 12 years ordained and using a canon law degree, you know, every day of my life for one <laughs> ministry or, or another. And, and yet, it's exactly in that being pulled, in, in that going in directions maybe we, we thought we would not have to, or maybe we didn't feel prepared for, that we're going to find a real sense of fulfillment, that the grace of God will supply what is, what is lacking in us, that he will give us by that grace to so long as we are open to it, the ability to, to go forth and, and do the things that the church and our Lord is asking us to do through that ministry, through that order and, and office. And so I would say, however the deacon's role might evolve, and I don't think anyone has, you know, that globe to see into the future and not something we would want. But we will trust that in, in the future, just as the Holy Spirit was, was present over the waters, as the Holy Spirit is present now, so too will the Holy Spirit be present in our lives, in our ministry, and in our in our mission, so that we will be able to do whatever that that is that will be asked of us at that time. And so I can't give you a um, a blueprint or a map, nor do I think one is necessarily needed in that way. But what we can give is the fact that God will give us the grace necessary and provide real integral fulfillment in our lives, so long as we respond to it. Can I add something there, please? I'm often reminded of Peter and Christ telling Peter that they will tie you up and take you where you do not want to go. And I, I love uh, Peter, particularly in the gospel of Mark, because he's so raw and so real and he is so much like us. And he, you know, his first reaction after the resurrection and the dust settles is to go fishing in the, in the, and, and he sees Jesus on the shore and one of the things that I'm always reminded of is that the Lord is not done with us yet. As long as we live, the Lord will have something for us to do if we're open to it. But it is not necessarily what we want to do. And I, I think I, I touched upon this at our retreat. We like to serve in things where we control the environment because those are easy things for us. But, but, uh, Christ is calling us to get outside of ourselves and outside of our, our, uh, the things that are in the way for us. And that's where we're going to learn. That's where the Holy Spirit's really going to touch us. And I find myself now sometimes looking in the mirror and thinking, I, I, who would ever thought? Certainly not I. Well, coming to this ministry with an open heart is definitely one of the prerequisites. And I think I learned that even from the very first summer assignment, Father Ritz, when you asked us to pick a ministry that we haven't spent a lot of time doing so that we could kind of diversify so we could, because many of us, I mean, all of us, I think in the class came from some ministry or, or a couple of ministries that we probably spent a lot of time where there was service for me, I worked a lot um, in youth ministry. For me, I, I hadn't spent much time in nursing homes. I mean, we, I had visited and was comfortable, but I hadn't, I had not spent much time ministering to the elderly. So I chose a nursing home for my first summer assignment, and I found that to be a big growth experience for me to to find ways in which I could help out, to be present. And I think the other piece is knowing that our, you know, if God willing, we are ordained one day that we have to be open to whatever parish assignment that might be. And it might not be the same kind of parish that we're accustomed to serving in. It may not be the same kind of population, the same kind of demographics. And so I think just that that open, that all goes back to having that open heart. To my fellow classmates, how has this experience kind of shaped you in, in different ways or, or pushed you in, in, in different ways of growth? Pat, why don't, we, why don't we start with you? Well, you know, just the experience, like you said, about the, the summer assignment. Um, for me, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't an altar server, you know, I, you know, I, I was, you know, the religion in my family was an edict, you know, I went, I took my bicycle and rode to confirmation classes and, and first little community classes by myself. My parents really didn't practice the faith, you know, they just told me to go, you have, you have to do this. So, and I grew up, you know, through my life and I didn't really find my faith until, you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago. So for me, when, when we spent time this summer in, um, in a parish, you know, just supporting the activities of the parish and being, I actually got to serve, you know, as an altar boy, as an altar server, you know, and things that I had never had done before in my life. So for me, the, and the other thing in uh, the summer assignment 
made me look out at the people rather than being the person looking at the priest. It started to make me turn around and start looking at how the words of the priest and the words of the lecture and everything were impacting or, or, or touching base with the people. So it, it's, it's been a, it was a great experience for me just because, because not being involved, you know, as a young child and through my through my, even through my, you know, most of my life, um, it was a great experience to start getting involved in more and more of those things. It had been 35 years since I served Mass until this past summer, Pat. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I feel you on that one. <laughs> but saying it all came back. It all came back. Bo, how about you? I think for me, Jim, talking about the summer assignments, I, I was in Minersville, Pennsylvania. I was with um, Father Stokes. And I think the thing that he told me that really sh- struck me was the Ministry of Presence. So um, we had a basket auction that the parish had in uh, late August. And so he said, I, you know, I want you to come to the, um, to the basket auction and, and be there. And he said, you'll learn about the ministry of presence. And I think that that's kind of the one of the things that really stuck with me is just being there for people. So, you know, all you have to do is show up. You know, you don't have to offer them, you know, pearls of wisdom or anything like that. You just have to accompany them, just be there with them. So with, the, you know, the basket auction, I mean, it was a happy occasion. People were there. They were buying food and, you know, they were purchasing tickets and they had over, I think, 300 baskets. And it was at their, their new power center. So it was really a very festive time and a very festive um, atmosphere. But I think that that was really the thing that I'll always remember about that particular assignment is the ministry of presence, just showing up, being there for people. They know that you're there. And sometimes that's good enough. So um, so that, that would be it for me. And right. I think that that's probably kind of the thing that, you know, talking about stretching, I think that that's, you know, would be a stretch for me just to kind of be there, not necessarily, I mean, I did a lot of things while I was there, but not necessarily having a role, but just kind of, you know, just so folks know that you're interested and you're kind of there with them on the journey. No, I, I, I relate with that boat because I, I've, I experienced the same thing this past summer. And I think, um, in my role in professionally, I'm called to, you know, come in and lead the way and, and manage timelines. And certainly when I've done ministry in the past, I might've been in charge of that ministry or leading something, but it, it does take some discipline, I think. And it, there is a, a, there's something to what you're saying there about just being present. Absolutely. And, and, and having folks know that you're there. Vaughn, how about you? For me, I'm going to go back to our first summer assignment, uh, which was summer of 19. I think I got that right. Yeah, summer of 19. And for me, it was Catholic Charities. And Jane and I are involved with Catholic, Jane's my wife, Catholic Charities in at the at the gala level. So, so it's the fundraising arm uh, or one of the fundraising arms to ensure that the resources are available to deliver the services. And my service that summer, it was compressed, but it gave me the opportunity to go out into homes to sit with people who need the services of Catholic charities, desperate stories. They're not Catholics who are coming to, or they're not necessarily Catholics, but Catholic charities is there to serve them because we are Catholic uppercase and lowercase. It is the universal call. And that was, for me, it, it, it allows you when you go into these galas and you go into a fundraising event and you, you see the the successful people at a parish and all that kind of stuff. And you realize it really connected that those resources and the means that we are blessed with, whatever we contribute then helps that person that, that otherwise it's easy to walk past them on the street or to drive by the guy holding the sign. Uh, And that's one of the things that over these past three years, I have tried to, give myself that deliberate pause. And and if I got a couple bucks, hand them a couple bucks. Um, Unfortunately, as we get cashless, now sooner or later, I'm waiting for one of the guys to hand me an iPhone with the the strip on top and I'll just (laughs) strip a donation right to him. But it it really, it it brought that 
that face of Jesus in that grandmother who's got five kids in a one bedroom loft that that was a story that I mean it sticks with me. So that definitely stretched some boundaries for me and elevated my awareness. The challenge is, is to to sustain that and keep it going forward. So as we wrap up this conversation, um, I just ask that uh, maybe everybody just kind of offer us a couple of closing uh, a closing thought on if there's somebody listening to this podcast who might be thinking about a vocation to the diaconate or maybe even a priestly vocation or, or, or some other vocation, but specifically, I guess, let's talk about the diaconate. If somebody's listening to this, what would be your advice to them in their discernment process? Uh, we'll start at the top. Father Ritz. Listen carefully. The great words of uh, the monastic rule there, beginning with listen carefully. Um, God God will speak in silence. The world is very busy. And in the busyness of your lives, your, your, your families, your, your work, uh, there's so much noise in the world, noise that we can't even necessarily control or constantly bombarded by. You know, and on the on the internet, when we're when even when we're driving, in terms of you know billboards and radio and things like that, I often say, pull pull into a quiet spot, turn the right up, make time for prayer, make time to be uh, before the Blessed Sacrament, ask the Blessed Virgin Mary for her help and her intercession. It's those basic keys to the faith. Don't don't overthink it. And then, as you listen, place before God, you, you know your own your own heart, your own will, your own choice, and say, Lord, what is it? that you're asking of me. And uh, that would be my advice to anyone discerning a vocation. Take time in silence to quietly reflect and ask, and most importantly, listen carefully. Deacon Rick? <laughs> well, obviously, I, I, I concur with Father Ritz. My call came in a, in a car when there was no radio on. But I, I think more importantly, I'm always reminded, and in, in, in this, uh, this has struck me like a ton of bricks, my ways are not your ways. And I I think sometimes what happens is we get in our own way. We become too enamored with the things that we can do, humanly speaking. And God has something greater that he wants to accomplish in us. And I I can tell you that some of the people that I've had the chance to listen to and minister to have have been much more in comparison to anything I ever did where I made a decent amount of money and uh, or I was... uh, uh, successful. I, 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 it's something where I was recognized for it. People touch our, our hearts. Um, we're meant to be together as human beings and serve our Lord. And uh, he is going to point the way for us if we get out of the way. Well, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think that, I mean, I would echo what um, Father Ritz and uh, Deacon Rick said, but I think you just have to be open, open to God's will in your life, whatever you know, whatever that may be, perhaps he is calling you to the diaconate or to the priesthood, but God may be calling you to something else as well. But I think that really what he's calling all of us to is to a, uh, to a fullness of life, I think, um, no matter what it is. And I think the only way we can really discern that is, is to be open to his will. So that's what I would say. Fine. I, I know for me that the, the um, I called it the tug because it certainly wasn't a jerking motion. It was just a persistent pull. And again, if, if that urge is there, if that uh, if you feel that tug, that pull, that uh, you're knocked off your horse, pray about it. Go and pray about it. Uh, try and get a Eucharistic um, adoration, or certainly in front of the tabernacle. And then be still and, and seek to listen, surrender to his will, because his will may not be, may not be that you're going to be, you know, like somebody said here, the parish priest. You may be called yes to, to be a deacon. And guess what? You got prison ministry. I don't know. But just the willingness to surrender. And Father Izaki, who's spiritual advisor for me, has, uh, has brought me to listen a couple times to lead kindly light uh it's a hymn it's on youtube and and that gives you that pause quiet find a good recording of it and and just to let his kind light lead you to where where you should be fun thanks fun 
And last but not least, Pat, what what would be your advice to anyone considering a, a vocation? I would use the the words of the St. John Paul II and say, be not afraid. Um, you know, this is way out of my comfort zone, as many of you know that. But I remember the first meeting with Father Ritz. He said, no one is worthy. None of us are worthy. And from that point forward, I was okay. So it's a it's a wonderful chance for us to get close to God and to to find our faith and to find what God wants us to do. So and if we get that out of it, whether we are ordained or not ordained, it's a wonderful experience. Well, I'm not going to follow uh, St. John Paul II. That was a beautiful way to, to close it, Pat. You, uh, you're <laughs> awesome. I, I, would, I would just echo everything you guys have said um, in prayer and, and time in front of the Blessed Sacrament. So um, this has just been a great conversation today. And I really am so grateful to all of you gentlemen for sharing uh, your faith, your wisdom, your experience of the diaconate program and um, I just feel blessed to be a part of this journey with all of you. So thank you so much for being here today. God bless you. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you, Jim. Thank Thanks, you. Jim. Thanks God for bless the invitation. You. Thanks, everyone. God bless your ministry. I want to thank Father Ritz, Deacon Rick, Von George, Bo Riley, and Pat Alba for being on our show this week. It was a great conversation, gentlemen, and I'm so blessed to be among you on this journey. If you'd like to reach out to the Diaconate Formation Program in the Diocese of Allentown, I'll leave a link in the show notes. And for the full video presentation of this episode, you can visit our episodes homepage at advancingourchurch.com. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team at Apotestery Studios for their support of our show. If you'd like to help our show, please leave us a rating wherever you download this podcast. And for more information, please find us at advancingourchurch.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. And Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for more than two decades. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. Have a terrific week. Take care and God bless.